0: you all. Thank you so much. Welcome to chapel. I have come bearing gifts since it is almost Christmas and so who needs a uh, candy cane uh, from the president? I've got several. I probably should walk down here because i they don't float very good. Um, everybody, Who's all getting ready for Christmas, huh? These guys. Fancy Friday today. Huh? There you go. I got another handful here. I'm just doing this because, uh, you know, where you sow, you reap, and uh, I love Christmas uh, presents myself, and, uh, you know, you might uh, maybe reciprocate. I'll try to get there. I don't know if there's someone up in the, well, I won't even get up there. Anyway, Merry Christmas, a, pres- a gift uh, from the president. Now, this is uh, the last kind of typical chapel. Uh, Christmas chapel is on Monday. You don't want to miss it. Lots of fun, lots of Christmas carols kind of a celebration of a great semester. And I, you know, as I stand here this morning, as I uh, watch you worship, it's, it's like the last chapel of the season uh, this semester, and the intensity of worship from your hearts is incredible. I want to remind you that this sanctuary is, the, is, is like the powerhouse. It's the furnace of all of what God wants to do all throughout this campus in our classes in our residence halls, and in your lives. The way of the Holy Spirit, the work of God, getting deeper inside of you in this room and in the Anderson Chapel and where we do other creative chapels. I just want to remind you that the focus of your life uh, is going to be what God is anointing you to do with this great academic education. So your commitment and your Your resilience, your endurance to stay engaged in worship and chapel is just outstanding, and I want to commend you for that. This is a difference maker, uh, as it relates to even you know our sister Christian schools across the country. That very few, I don't know of any, have chapel every day like we do, and they kind of ask us like, "How can you sustain chapel every day, five days a week? How do your students stay engaged?" Well. It just seems that God sends us students who have a hunger for God and who take advantage of 50 minutes every day to kind of check out from all the academic issues and life issues and be able to focus on Jesus knowing that He is the strength that gets you through all of the challenges that there are in being a college student. So I commend you and I thank you for supporting the fact that we have that distinctive here and you are still going strong. Now, I want to talk about uh, joy. I've been talking about joy all semester. Pastor Joshua and I have been working through the book of Philippians. I don't, you know, we're not getting very far very fast, but the theme of Philippians is what? Remember what it is? Joy in jail. Joy in jail. He writes it from jail, and he's got this incredibly optimistic spirit, and And uh, his circumstances don't erode his joy, and it's a great, great letter uh, book in our New Testament. I'm not going to preach from Philippians this morning, but I am going to continue in my series on joy. So I talked about joy in jail. Secondly, I talked about joy in the downturn, and today is kind of the last, you know, formal chapel just before Christmas. What do you think the joy is going to be all about? Joy in what? What do you think it might be? Well, yeah, joy in Jesus. Jesus is always the answer if you don't have an answer, so he's the right answer. Now, you got to write joy in Christmas. And I'm not going to have you turn to a passage in your Bible, but I'm going to have you turn figuratively to a different book called a hymnal. And I want to tell you the story behind the great Christmas song that is probably the most popular Christmas song we sing at Christmas, which is what? Joy to the World. Two brilliant songwriters, although they never met, together created Christmas's most beloved song, which is Joy to the World. Each one of these two gentlemen were what we might call musical icons of their day. They were They were known for rejecting the established conventional thought of the day, especially as it related to sacred music. And as a result, the work of these two men gave us an example of how music always tends to lead the way in the progress of culture and societal thought. Now, these two men were not contemporaries. They didn't live at the same era of time. They lived in different parts of the world. And they were separated by about a century, uh, about a hundred years between them. Neither one of them realized in their lifetime just how significant this particular song would become for believers around the world. The first individual that we meet today is an individual by the name of Isaac Watts. He was born in England July 17th, 1674, which is about 350 years ago. He was born to a father who was a revolutionary church leader in Great Britain. His, this dad was a spirited, stubborn man. He was a cobbler, tailor by trade, but he, he had a fiery political activism about him, which on one occasion landed him in prison. And while he was in prison, that's when Isaac was actually born. History tells us that at an early age, Isaac Watts began to show similar kinds of signs of a radical free spirit that probably he inherited from his father. He grew up attending Southampton Congregational Church. Many of the children in Great Britain of that day that were raised in wealthy, well-to-do families would end up attending Oxford, Cambridge Universities, but Isaac was raised Uh, in a situation where because of his father's um, negative persona, they could only find a place for him in an independent academy. Having inherited his father's spirited personality, Watts was never content with the status quo. He questioned everything. He demanded that nothing be accepted as it is. The idea of we always do it this way was something that Isaac Watts could never accept. And of course... This non conforming personality affected his opinion about the music in the church. Oh, isn't that interesting? (laughs) Basically, Isaac, as a young man, a young teenager, found his church's music to be uninspiring and monotonous. He would observe the congregation in their singing and he saw no joy. He would watch the choir sing the song and he saw no emotion. And while most of his peers just silently accepted this as it is what it is, Isaac Watts could not keep silent. And at home, he complained bitterly to his parents, night after night after night, about the terrible music in the church. In response to his son's complaining, his father gave him some wise counsel, which is counsel that we would give to you as the next generation coming up. Then when you have a criticism of something, don't just don't just Don't just put out on the table the problem, but produce a potential solution. And his dad said to him, I understand that you don't like the music in the church, so why don't you write better music? And that seemed to unleash, like, permission to be creative, and a burst of creativity came upon Isaac Watts to the tune that when he was finally finished writing music, Christian music, he had written over 600 hymns. Some of the hymns that you uh, might recall, I know that you're way too young, we don't sing out of a hymnal much anymore, but those of us who are older than you, we would recognize these songs that he wrote. Come ye that love the Lord, and when I survey the wondrous cross, and we're marching to Zion. Those are all familiar. Alas, did my Savior bleed. And then a, a wonderful song that we've often sung during communion, At the Cross. These are all songs that Isaac Watts wrote. Now, Though prolific in his writing, most of his songs, after he had written them, were quickly rejected. They were rejected because his lyrics didn't mirror word for word the, trans, the, the, the traditional translation of the Scriptures that was most honored and dominant in his day. In fact, Watts didn't even hold to the, the tradition of faithfulness to that uh, translation of the Scripture, and as a result, he was, he was coined as a heretic. But he refused to be discouraged, he refused to be intimidated, and he continued to write new songs with new sounds and new ideas about the Christian faith. And after much of his work and dedication, Isaac Watts was eventually ordained into the ministry, and that gave him a little higher platform of respectability for his music. Something that's pretty funny about him is as he was beginning to gain more and more popularity and people, you know, uh, understanding a little bit of his music, um, he... Uh, was proposed for marriage by a young woman, wrote him a letter and said, I propose marriage with you, Isaac Watts, and they'd never seen each other. He was so blown away that he accepted. And then they met. And she decided, I'm rescinding the offer. And she said, here's a quote, he's only five feet tall. He's got a shallow face, a hooked nose, prominent cheekbones, small eyes. He's got the color of death on him. She was unable to see the brilliance that lay beneath the physical appearance and she left him brokenhearted. And from that day till his death, he sought no relationships romantically with any women. All right, now I know what you're saying. Like where, okay, Dr. Graham, get to the point. How do we get to the song Joy to the World? Isaac Watts was studying in his devotions one day, and he came across Psalm 98. And from that psalm, he wrote a poem, words that became known to what we know now as Joy to the World. Let's look at this verse, Psalm 98. Verse 4, shout for joy to the Lord. All the earth burst into jubilant song with music. Verse 5, make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, and with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout for joy before the Lord the King. As he focused on verse 4, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth, it burst into jubilant song with music. He he wrote a four stanza poem, a poem that... that that soon after was written and was sung to the melody of Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. In other words, he wrote the poem and he put it to music, and he put put it to the music of a different hymn. As a result, this song didn't take off at all, didn't hit the charts at all. During his lifetime, it was forgotten. So I need to tell you about the story of a second individual. His name is Lowell Mason. He was born in New Jersey in 1788. This man loved music, but he realized that he didn't have the skills necessary to make a living from music, and so he went into banking. But even in his banking profession, he had a passion for music. He loved music, and so he continued to write music and study music in his spare time, and and most of what he learned was self-taught, his His favorite composer was George Frederick Handel, who is, you know, the the writer of the great musical Messiah. And um, on a whim, he decided to submit a number of musical numbers for publishing, and they were rejected. And so he resigned himself. I guess I'm just going to play in the band at iChurch on the weekends. And that's what he did. But imagine the shock he must have had when a number of years passed by and he was given a message that his previously submitted work had not only been published, but one of Boston's most famous musical societies ordered 50,000 copies of, of Mason's music. And that was a turning point for him. That put him on the map. And for the next 20 years, he grew in popularity and became one of Boston's most famous music publishers. And it was at the height of his popularity that he created a musical score that was inspired by two of of Handel's songs in the Messiah, Lift Up Your Head and Comfort Ye. And it was a song of incredible energy and emotion and joy, and he entitled it Antioch. Antioch, as in the ancient city where Paul had been thrust into Missionary Journey 1 and Missionary Journey 2. Mason was especially proud of that musical work. It breathed with excitement, exclamation of joy and praise, but the problem is that it didn't have the right lyrics. So three years passed, and while studying the works of Isaac Watts, who had lived and died 100 years earlier, he came across Watts' uh, psalm-inspired poem. And when he read the poem from Psalm 98, he knew that he had found the right words to his song that he had called Antioch, but now it would be called Joy to the World. Now, something very interesting. I'll let you in on a little secret. No one knows how this particular song became a Christmas song. See, Christmas was not the context into which why the words were written and why the song and the melodies came together. The song is inspired by an Old Testament scripture, Psalm 98, and, and only the phrase, the Lord is come, in the song, give any reflection about the incarnation or the birth of the Messiah. In other words, Joy to the World was a song that was meant to be sung year-round. And I think, isn't that really what the truth of Christmas is supposed to be? Isn't the truth of Christmas to be something that's not just categorized from, you know, November, whatever, you know, the Friday after, Christmas, Friday after Thanksgiving, we start listening to Christmas music, and then by the 26th, we're done with it, and let's move on. I mean, is that, is, that, is that really the best way of respecting and honoring and, and being uh, engaged and affected by the truth of Christmas to just let it be a category of 30 days a year? No. The truth of Christmas, the theology of Christmas, the incarnation of God becoming man, becoming flesh, living among us is a truth that we should be celebrating Christmas in July and August and all of the months of the year. So taking that in mind, how do, we, how do we capture the joy of Christmas, the joy of Jesus year-round and not just at Christmas? I want to give you three quick thoughts from, the, from some of the lines in Joy to the World. Number one, capturing joy all year long, number one, we have to make room for Jesus, Make room for Jesus. Verse 1 of Joy to the World says, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. That line, where, where could we attach that line to a scripture? Well, we could attach that line to the scripture in Luke 2, 7, where it says she gave birth to a son firstborn. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I like to say this when I think about making room for Jesus, and that is this. Joy is a consumption issue. Joy is a consumption issue. What I mean is that our lives are the byproduct of what we consume. We become what we eat. We become what we think about. We become what we allow to get into our minds and into our heads and into our hearts, and we become what we consume. The quality of our lives in other words, is an expression of what we make room for in our lives. You are the kind of person you are because of what you have made room for in your life. And so Psalm 98 verse 4, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth and burst into jubilant song with music. Like where does that kind of joy come from? How do I get that kind of joy? It comes from inside. It comes from making room for Jesus to fit inside of our lives. Living proof of this kind of joy that comes into the human life when you make room for Jesus comes from a great passage that reflects on what happened in Philippi, but it's found in Acts 16, verse 30, where this jailer finds Christ, accepts Jesus because of the witness of Paul. Notice what it says in in the passage here, it says, uh, Acts sixteen thirty. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. And in fact, your whole family will be saved. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. Verse 34 says, The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before him, and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. Or we could say he had come to make room for Jesus in his life. So if we want joy... Whether it's December, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, November, regardless, whatever day it is, whatever circumstance, you are a little less filled with joy. First step, I want to make more room for Jesus. We're going to make a little bit more room for Jesus after this Friday chapel, as we always do. And I'm trying to get to the end of this message so that for those of you that have a noon class, you might still be able to have a few minutes more time making a little bit more room for Jesus in your life. Second thing we need to do that the song gives to us, this hint that more joy comes from making more room for Jesus, and secondly is by being made right with Jesus. We make room for Jesus and we make right with Jesus. Verse 3 of the song says, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. So if joy is a consumption issue, secondly, it's also a curse issue. I'm sure you all understand that every human being is under a curse. Now, it's not like a wicked witch of the West cursed kind of thing, but it's the curse of sin. Some people are under the curse of sin because they've never experienced forgiveness. They've never experienced the delivering power of God's forgiveness. And they they live in their addiction. They live in their bondage. They live in their compulsions. But even those of us who have been redeemed and we've been forgiven and God has saved us and we're on our way to heaven, we are still affected by this curse of sin because we still have to wrestle with temptation and we still have to wrestle with the the difficulty of doing the right thing and sometimes we don't do the right thing and we sin and we, it's just evidence that this curse still weighs upon the most spiritual of us all. This is why James tells us when each one is tempted... We're tempted because of our own evil desire and we're dragged away and we're enticed and then after desire is conceived, we give birth to sin and sin when full grown, it's not a pretty ending, it's death. And this is exactly why Watts is referring to in this line, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. It's this idea of thorns infesting the ground, where does that come from? Well, it comes from Genesis where one of the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin is that Adam is going to have to work the soil, and it's going to be difficult because now thorns infest the ground. This is sound theology about sin, both from this passage and from this great song that we sing. Reminding ourselves that sin disrupts and sin destroys and sin deadens and sin thoroughly, thoroughly seeks to rid our life of God's joy. So if I am going to obtain and maintain and grow in joy, I got to keep making room for Jesus. I got to keep being made right, not resaved necessarily, but I got to keep reconnecting in light of my sin through confession and repentance. And maybe that's part of what would draw you to take a little bit of time at the end of my speaking to kneel before Jesus and say, God, I'm burdened by my sin and I want to I want to thank you for your forgiveness and I need to make more room and be made more right with you today. The third thing that the song gives to us is this idea. The capturing joy any day, all day, every day. We make room for Jesus. We make right with Jesus. And thirdly, we, we make ruled by Jesus. Verse four says, he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nation's prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. So joy is a consumption issue, it's a curse issue, but it's also a control issue. The level of joy in your life is directly connected to who's controlling you. Hey, I'm in control of my own life, the world says. Nobody should be telling me what to do. It's a free world. I can do whatever I want to do, and that's exactly why Your joy is up and down because you're up and down. And we all are. Here's the bottom line. If the only reason you are looking for Jesus is to find joy, you're going to be disappointed because we don't use Jesus just to be happy. Rather, we come to Jesus and we make more room for him. Jesus wants to live on this planet through His Holy Spirit, and He doesn't live in locations. He lives in the human spirit. He lives in people. The presence of God on the planet is the Holy Spirit who habitates people, you and me. And so this constant awareness of the Holy Spirit taking up room in our lives... Is it possible that in the most important room of your life, the very center, like your favorite living room or whatever it is, in the very center of that room, the most comfy chair is your chair? And Jesus says today, you know what? I want to come into your favorite room and I want the comfy chair. And we bow before Jesus and we say, Jesus, I want you to come into the most important room of my life and I want you to be in the very center of that room. I want to make more room for you to sit and to kick back and to own that room because when you're in control, I'm being led by one who can provide joy. So here's what I want to do this morning as we close the service. I want us all to stand to our feet. And I want everybody, if you would, I want you to come down to the front as we always kind of do when we're worshiping, we're going to sing Joy to the World. And I, I want you all to come and just stand down here in the front and uh, we might totally fill the altar area. Let's spill into the, into, the, uh, into the aisles. And I want, I got Vinny here. He's going to lead us in the song. We've got the lyrics. Let's sing through the, the, the three verses. I think uh, that'll be sufficient. But I want you to sing it and I want you to, Think about the lyrics as, in light of what I presented in this message, and then we're going to do one more thing before it's eleven forty, so or a minute or two thereafter. So let's do that. If you know the words, close your eyes, and it might be sung a little differently. It might not have like the energy and the exuberance as we often sing it, but more of a reflective singing of this song as we remind ourselves that Jesus simply wants us to make room for him. He desperately wants us to be made right. And he wants to rule. He wants to rule us. And when he's he's in the room, and when we're right with him, and when he's truly ruling, listen, you're going to have all the joy you can handle. So let's engage with that.